0: Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to Stew's Wrestling Podcast. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter, your host, Stu Parmer!
1: A warm welcome to episode 28. My guest today is the superstar and the megastar of NWA power, Tim Storm, the former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Tim is a school teacher for his day job, so it was interesting to see how the challenges of that have been for him with technology and getting the students taught. He teaches history, so yeah, we start off with that, and then we go into his career, how he began watching wrestling many, many years ago, some of the guys that he loved watching as a kid. We also talked about his career as NWA World Heavyweight Champion. We even got on to talk about Mama Storm and how his promos were influenced by Mama Storm, and it took the industry by Storm, might I add. We also talk about Tim's shows that he did at Joe Exotic's Park. And there was a couple of them and some great stories about Joe Exotic, who Tim knows really, really well. So here we are, episode 28, striking my lines hot. It's the NWA Power Superstar Megastar, Tim Storm. Enjoy. Right, my guest for Stu's Wrestling Podcast this week is another the NWA Power Superstar and the former NWA World Heavyweight Champion,
0: Tim Storm, Stu, it's a pleasure. Thank you for uh, you know for taking the time. But the way I look at all of this is, we're as far as wrestling, we're all in this together. You know, we're all in this to be to make each other successful. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Now, uh, Tim, you're a school teacher. How how has it been uh,
1: recently, logistically for you, getting the getting the kids taught and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, it's it's a challenge uh, for me personally. It, you know, my, I think my strength or my gift as a teacher is standing up and teaching, right? Telling stories. I think I'm a, I'm a history teacher. So, you know, it's, history is not always interesting. So when you stand up, it's your job to try to engage them and get them locked into what you're talking about. And if you're a good storyteller, that helps. Today, you know, with where we're at in quarantine, uh, it's all online. There's very little personal, in, you know, interaction. Um, and from our standpoint, we have to we have to keep in mind that every situation for those students is different. Um, again, you know, it, it could be again I'm speculating, but it could be they're in an apartment with three other you know school age kids and a parent who's working from home with one computer and limited Wi-Fi. And how do you you know how do you reach all of those people and, and provide? So that's it's a challenge. And, and personally, for me, technology not my strength. Um, but again, I've managed. I've uh, got with help. I've 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 kind of hit a groove with it. We're on our seventh week, I think, of quarantine. Yeah. So uh, for us here, time mm-hmm. wise, we have uh, about three and a half weeks of of school left uh, to help them and get them prepared and at least let, you know hopefully get them to move forward to the next grade. I teach thirteen and fourteen year olds. I teach eighth grade here.
1: It's a, it's a crucial time for them as well, I guess, the the age and and what they're what they're doing. Uh, yeah. My sister's in the same uh, boat. She teaches pre-primary here in the UK, five and six-year-olds, and obviously she's having the same things that you're having with the, the technology. I think that yeah, it's cool that you're managing to do what, what you can do for them.
0: Right, Tim, where where were you born? That's going to be the first question before we hit any of the wrestling talk. Um, I was born in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Uh, so since since you're in the UK, you know, some people may or may not be familiar. Arkansas is in the South. Um, and within Arkansas, the capital is Little Rock. and Pine Bluff is about an hour south of, of Little Rock. Um, Arkansas is a beautiful state. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's called the natural state. so lots of, lots of trees and, and green and lakes and rivers. I mean it's a beautiful place. Uh, Pine Bluff, not such a beautiful place. It, we have famous for the paper mill, which means it smells like uh, you know death most of the time. Uh, there is a, there was a, uh, at one point, a site that, that possibly housed, uh, weaponry. So we had, you know, it, it was, it's an, in, it was an interesting place to grow up. And I would say from, a, as far as people from what would consider a big city, it was not a huge city. I think we were 30 or 40,000 people, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's depending on where you're from, right? I mean, if you're in New York, that's a tiny, tiny city. Yeah. If you're from a small, small country town, that's a pretty large city. So, uh, but centrally located in the South. And and I don't, you know, now, unfortunately, over the last 10 or 15 years, it's been rated one of the worst places in the United States to live. Uh, Just, you know, because of things that it crime rate and those kind of issues, uh, not offering theater and things like that. But at the time it was a, it was a good place to grow up. It was, it was a good place for me. How was, how was your rep bringing, Uh, you know, my my mom who is by accident has, has gotten some notoriety some positive <laughs> fame, uh is is a role model somebody who is my hero uh, you know my dad had a lot of issues growing up as far as uh, you know he had a stroke when I was 11 and really was never able to work again uh, and kind of became much to his uh, dissatisfaction kind of a home father you know where he was doing the cooking and those kind of things and like my dad, let's see, we're in 2020. My dad would be a hundred if he were alive now. Right. So I was a very late, uh, late birth child to my parents. They were in their forties. Uh, I had two brothers and a sister that were so much older than me. Really? Most of them, they were gone, grown and, you know, having doing their own thing as I have childhood memories. They weren't around much cause they were that much older than me. So, you know, it, but I have a, I had a very positive, uh, happy childhood and, have tried to really emulate my mom and, and how mm-hmm. I raised my kids and those kind of things. She's a wonderful lady. She's, she's 95 now and still living in the same house that I grew up in and, you know, is, is happy and healthy for her age. We all live mama's storm. Uh, uh, we oh, yeah, I loved
1: it. I love the promos, Mom.
0: You I, know, that was one of those things that, you know, when I said it, it was kind of a, I mean, in my mind, it was just kind of a, I was stating a fact it was a throwaway yeah, line in yeah, yeah. the fact that anybody, if you ever go back and watch that, it's—I almost don't hesitate as I just keep going because I didn't think anybody was going to respond to that, and it kind of took on a life of its own. Uh, but there's there's very few funnier things in life than to hear your 95 year old mama refer to herself as Mama Storm, right? So it's, <laughs> it's it's been a good thing. It's it's a good thing.
1: Absolutely, absolutely right. So fast forward a bit now, Tim. When did you begin watching wrestling? I'm looking forward to the answers to this. Uh
0: you know, growing up centrally located in the South, Saturdays for most kids, and I'm older, so I, you know, what I'm going to say. If some people are like, you know, yeah, I've heard of those, but I didn't watch them. But you know, Saturdays were Scooby Doo and you know, banana splits. I mean, it was old, old cartoons, but not for me. Uh, and you know, it's funny because I say this, and it's just a fact. And my, my mom would say, "I don't remember that," right? "I don't remember you." But Saturdays for me was wrestling. That's that's what I looked forward to, and because of where I was located um, in the South. We got USWA in the morning, which is Jerry which Jerry Lawler's promotion, uh, which is, you know, over the years that had everything from Boogie Woogie Man and Kamala, uh, everybody who was anybody, you know, Mean Mark Calloway later becomes The Undertaker. You know, Papa Shanga at the time was – I mean, everybody came through there, and that was kind of a training ground. I got that in the morning. Uh, in the afternoons, I got Georgia Championship Wrestling, which is going to become the NWA, uh, Mid-South. And I got that, uh, I don't know, around, I guess, 6.05 becomes the time, because later on with the WA Power, that becomes our time. And then at night, I got uh, world-class championship wrestling from Texas, which is the Bon Erics the Freebirds. Um, I mean, it, so I, three times a day, I basically was scheduling to watch wrestling and, and just fell in love. Uh, the Mid-South which were mostly the NWA guys, would come through Pine Bluff, Arkansas, about once or twice a year to the convention center, and I'd try to, go, try to get to go see them live. And, and nobody in my family was really a wrestling fan, but they would drop me off you know, at the front door with usually a friend and pick me up when it was over. And I, some of my, well my, my personal wrestling motivation was, was from some of those shows. I know you've obviously listed the guys across
1: the different territories there, but yeah, just some... Uh, which wrestlers stood out for you, Tim? Who, who did you
0: gravitate to? Who did you like watching? Well, and, and I know that and I'm going to answer knowing that while people are familiar with them because of my age, they're old, you know, they're guys now that are legends in the business. But uh, the guys that I grew up just, my first wrestling me- memory is a guy named Danny Hodge, uh, who was a national champion you know, amateur wrestler and is one of the toughest guys in the history of business and until the last, you know, four or five years ago was the uh, commissioner for the athletic commission in Oklahoma. Um, And then more, more, I guess, for most fans, uh, Dusty Rhodes is a huge influence. I loved watching him and, you know, the the charisma and the way his matches were. Matter of fact, I was watching, I've I've watched more YouTube wrestling in the last seven (laughs) weeks than I have in seven years and I just watched I just watched a, a Dusty Rhodes match that was a tag match with Ron Garvin against uh, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. I and and as that begins to grow, Harley Race was a huge influence. Uh, I loved watching him as one of the toughest guys in the history of the business. Uh, Ric Flair as a world champion, you know the, those guys, and then Arn Anderson I think was one of the I don't I want to say underrated because I think the world knows how good he was, but I, you know he never held a world title. He held a lot of TV titles and things like that. But those are the guys that kind of influenced me. Um, and then because of my current, you know, as I, as I got bigger and older and stronger, and I found that uh, the more wrestling I did, technical-wise, the less, the less money I seemed to make. And I became more of a brawler. So Bruiser Brody and, and those guys started kind of influencing. You know, Terry Funk kind of started influencing the way, the way I worked in the ring.
1: That's cool. Good answer. That was a good answer. That. Were there any particular events in the wrestling calendar that stood out? Like, you know, obviously the it's pre pre pay per view around that right. time, wasn't it? Any any
0: events around that time that stood out for you? Well, I, I know the one the one that really registered, and I don't you know registered in my in my life. Uh, I went to a live event um, at the Pine Bluff Convention Center, and. You know the convention center. I've now wrestled there four or five times, which is a huge thing for me to go back in main event at the place that I, you know, that I got, I grew up watching wrestling. But I know that I went with a friend of mine, uh, and I'm going to guess we were probably 14 years old, 13, something like that. And the main event, and I can tell you some of the matches. I know that night, for example, was Hacksaw Butch Reed against Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And 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 then the iron, the funny part of it, because I laugh now. It was on a coal miners uh, glove on a pole match, which is hilarious, right? Um, Which really was just a leather glove, I'm sure on a pole, but I thought that was the greatest thing, but the main event that night, and this is kind of my moment where I just went, Oh, I've got to do that. I've got to, was the main event was Ken Patera at the time, you know, world's strongest man, Olympic powerlifter, against Andre the giant in the main event. And the picture, the mental picture that that I want people to have is back in the, I hate to say the old days, but back in the day, it wasn't the, the light show that we see now. It was one single, what they called a kettle light. And the kettle light was over the ring. So it cast the ring in a bright light, and everything around it was black. So the match that night, Andre the Giant, uh, went. the finish of the match was Andre picking up Ken Pitera for a body slam. And when he picked him up, his feet hit that kettle light. And it just started. So, and I know it was like, it was like, I heard angels. It was like, Oh, you know, and that's the finish. And I just went, that's unhuman. I, how do you, how does it, you know? So that's the memory that is set in my head. And, you know, we, we didn't know how long wrestling was going to last that night. We knew what time we were being picked up. So, you know, everybody leaves, everybody's clearing out. And I, I have like 40 minutes before I'm being picked up. So, I, I look around and nobody's looking. Everybody's gone. The arena's kind of empty. And I snuck into the ring, uh, climbed up on the second rope and, you know, raised my arms. And I was like, I've got to do this. So it, it was planted at whatever age that was, 12, 13, 14 years old. And it, and I, you know, it, it waned at times, but it never went away.
1: That's cool, man. That's cool. Uh, you said about the glove match. My next question is going to be, uh, did any match stipulations float your boat?
0: Uh, hmm. I I find personally that, and a lot of wrestling purists won't like this. I find that for me personally, the more stipulations there are, the easier the match for me. Um, I'm a brawler, you know. If I if I try to if I try to go in, you know, if you want to use our current world champion, if I want to, if I want to go in and try to go hold for hold with Nick with Nick Aldis, I'm not going to be successful. You know, the technical technically, he is a much better wrestler. But if I'm going to go in and throw punches and and just fight, I have a better chance. So I know that wrestling purists and I don't do many gimmick matches anymore, but that's just not that's not where I'm at. And as as a face, that, that's not an opportunity. But you know, the more the more violent and gimmicky a match is, the the more my chance of success and the more fun I'm going to have. And really, to me, the easier the match is going to be.
1: Cool, cool. When did when did you begin?
0: wrestling training that's the next one a bit bit of a jump bit of a jump now tim well and there there's the weird thing because i told you that at 12 or 13 it it never went away i always wanted to do it um but i didn't step into a ring for the first time until i was at least 30 um which is you know that's the age where most guys are getting out of the business right they've been working for eight or ten years their bodies are beat up and now it's it I, i got to a point and i you know i was married had Two kids, a house payment, two car. I mean, I was living the. I was the vice president of a company, um, and I was playing, which I I don't know how big it is, you know, all over the world, but in the South back then, uh, we're talking the '90s. Uh, softball was a huge thing, mm. and I was traveling on a travel team every weekend, uh, playing at a very high level. And it, you know, it was what I did. And it, at some point, I I remember just saying. I want to try a new challenge because I've always been an athlete. I've always been competitive. at something I just, I have to. And uh, my first call was to WCW power plant. And obviously at that point, you know, I, I wasn't going to walk away from my responsibilities for my family and, and just say, okay, I'm no longer the vice president of this company. Uh, But I found a local place to train and, I think I I, I always get this mixed up. I I now have been wrestling at least 25 years. My daughter corrected me at one point and said, no, you weren't 30. So I was probably 31 when I, you know, when I actually started because of my size, because I was six, three, probably two ninety at the time. uh, I got thrown into the ring, into, into matches on shows pretty quickly way before I was ready. Physically knowledge wise, I just got in there and started fighting and, uh, was not very good but but so i I started training in a little place called paris arkansas about a two-hour drive from where i lived i made that trip a couple times a week uh got beat up and it's as old school as you can possibly imagine you know it, it's where you got in there and they would say okay here's how you here's how you grab this hole that could break an arm now here's how you do it that may not break you know that you you can be a little safer and then the last thirty minutes was us rolling on the mat, legitimately grappling and fighting. And uh, you know, it was it was a great place. The roof was so the ring was set up, and the roof was so short, so low that you couldn't stand on the second rope without hitting your head. So I could I, learning to take moves and take bumps and try to protect myself. Routinely, my feet would hit the roof. You know, I mean, it was a it was a whole. It was an, uh, you know, it, it was old school as you can be, and we just beat the crap out of each other every day. Who trained you? To... Uh, most people will not remember uh, his, but this guy was very, very big uh, in wrestling back in the seventies and into the eighties. A guy named Wild Bill Ash, and Bill was what uh, what now we would consider a cruiserweight. Um, he he held titles all over, and I think he worked for every major company and held titles in every major company. Not a big guy, very cerebral. Uh, big on like he taught me psychology. You know, this is, this is why this makes sense. He was not really, really big on, I don't want to say the physical part. I want to say like cardio was not a big deal to him. We didn't do cardio drills. We just didn't. We rolling and rolling and grappling was cardio. Um, I worked not a whole lot my first three or four years under that and tried to, you know, started getting experience and started going to different shows And then when I moved to Dallas, I really, I walked in to help train people because at four or five years I was a veteran as far as most people were concerned. But in reality, I started training uh, a completely different style and I learned more, you know, I probably, it was four or five years before I learned how to protect myself on a bump. And the guy that I was training with, um, supposedly I was helping to train, but really I was just learning more, was just the opposite as Bill Ash. It was, more of a Lucia style more of a, uh, you know, a lot of Japanese stuff. And it was very little psychology, but the physical aspect of it was the complete opposite. We would go in and do 45 minutes of cardio drills before we ever started anything else. So over the years, I've learned that now I can work. Well, you know, as, as I get older, I don't know what I can do, but it's, it, I've, I can work any style because now I had the old school, let's get down and beat on each other. And, and, Know technical style, and then I had a different style, which was run and gun and post and take take big moves because I was the big guy and post for people. You know, so that benefited me over the years. Wait, which guys were you training with at the time? I don't now. I look at it and think, you know, there are they people that I know really well. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody in the world knows now. You know, it was uh, the guys who I trained with with Bill Ash. Uh, you know, a lot of those guys didn't stay in the business. We were we were in a literally in a tiny tiny town in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas. Uh, Bill ran shows and was a was a good promoter, not a great promoter, but a good promoter. And I got experience doing a lot of things. Even while I was training, uh, I got to do some broadcast experience and things like that that'll later come back to help me. And then with with the new group. You know, while these guys, some of them are still working, still are very good. I don't think, you know, my my tag partner I I come kind of comes out of that. And I've tagged off and on for 15, 20 years, you know, a guy named uh, Apocalypse, Adam Asher, who is super talented and and still works a lot. Uh, Other than that, I don't know that a lot of those guys even continued forward. Uh, When and where was your first match? Uh, Out of that training with Bill Ash – and Bill, Bill was an old school guy. This is some people will sh- some people will laugh, and some people will just shake their head. Bill would take a, a lawn chair, you know, a folding lawn chair, and he'd put it in the corner, and he would sit there with a two by four in his lap. That was his, and he would talk. That was his training. But he had a guy who he had trained, a guy named Jeff Jett, who did most of the like he would run the drills and those kind of things. So we would get in there, and you know, Bill would tell us what to do. And his philosophy was you can only learn one or two moves a week. Cause you're not going to remember them. So he would teach those one or two moves. And then the next week review those holds and then, the, and try to teach you one more. So it was a long drawn out process. And out of that, what's going to happen is like Bill didn't want us running spots. He didn't, that wasn't training to him. That wasn't true wrestling. You got in there and just win. So Bill, we, we finished training Bill would lock the door and we would all stand outside just talking and visiting and wait for Bill to leave and then Jeff would take a screwdriver when Bill left and he'd pop the lock on the door and we'd go back in and that's where I started learning okay to 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 put matches together and and those kind of things well Jeff had an opportunity he called me he said hey there's this there's this group that wants to run a charity they're going to rent the ring but they would like to have some real wrestlers on the show to have at least one real match. And my first match was in an audit, like a school auditorium, a tag match with the guy who I was with three guys, others guys I was training with. And, you know, I know the, the results of that, I, I remember coming to the back and Jeff, the guy who had really was heading up my training goes, you actually did pretty good for a first match. And, I, and my response, first of all, I couldn't breathe. I mean, I just, I had no concept of, of the cardio that, that's involved in wrestling. I'd never done it in a match. You know, I'd done it at, at, in workouts. And, took, I, you know, I, I got my breath and I said, I hope so, I've been waiting 30 years to do that match, right? Because it's, it's what I'd always wanted to do. So, um, you know, in the big picture, a lot of you've, you've heard guys talk about their bump card, right? I mean, you have so many bumps on your card, you don't know what that number is. I think it might have benefited me starting that late. You know, I didn't start. I didn't start bumping until I was what, let's say thirty-one, mm-hmm. right? So my bump card. was I had I had ten years of no bumps. That was pretty good. I had you know it took me five years to even learn how to bump, and I was still trying to have matches. So you know, it, it, but it, that's where my first match was, and it was it wasn't bad. Ooh. I'm sure I've had some stinkers since then. But <laughs>
1: <know> where, <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> where where were you wrestling? I, I put my question here. I put Arkansas. But obviously you were in Texas, weren't you? So, so the question would be, where were you wrestling in Texas early on in your career? That, that'd that be there just to,
0: I, I, I hooked up. Like I actually had decided I, I moved to Texas for a job and it was a big deal. Cause I didn't really want to leave Arkansas. I, it's the only place I'd ever lived. My, my wife's from there. We had two kids there. Uh but I had someone ca- who continually offered me more money to come take a job as a vice president of a company here. So when I came here and took the job, I thought, okay, this is one of those, this is one of those big boy real-life situations, right? I'm looking at going to working, you know, what, 60 or 80 hours a week. I've got, I've got a job that is paying me a lot of money, and I really need to get serious. And I kind of stepped away from wrestling, really kind of with the intent of not going back. And I got hooked up with a group called the Christian Wrestling Federation, and that's kind of where I started helping train and retrain. And we literally went all over the United States, made a tour of Africa. Uh, we got on a 16-passenger van. At one. I mean, at one point I was doing this full-time and a 16-passenger van and literally went in a van all over the United States pulling a trailer and a ring and you name it, we'd been there. Uh, and then I got involved with a group called, PCW professional championship wrestling based in Arlington, Texas, which is where you said, you know, you went to WrestleMania. Yeah, um, absolutely. Had local TV that was a great talent roster, good production quality. Um, and then just kind of expanded from there. Cause I, I, someday I'm going to do a, a map of the United States and put pins on every state that I've wrestled. I've never done that. I, you know, I don't think I've never wrestled in Alaska. Um, uh, I've been to Hawaii, but never wrestled there. I'm curious what states I haven't wrestled in. I know that on my introduction to the world, which kind of came out of the NWA 10 pounds of gold originally, Mm -hmm. uh, I am known in, in my area, right? The, uh, The Arkansas, Missouri, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Texas, that's Oklahoma. That's, that was my, that was my playground, you know, about eight or nine States down here. Um, but truthfully, at some point, I've you, I've been on the East Coast. I've been on the West Coast. I've been, you know, I've been I've wrestled just about everywhere.
1: That's incredible. I'll uh, tell you what: the young guys are aspiring to go across the country and do it. Well, you've you've done it, so that's that's cool, man. That's cool.
0: Well, it's it's it was a it's a good thing. And, and here's what I would tell any aspiring wrestler: is, it, it and you just don't get this until you do it. It's crowds. Part of a big part of wrestling is being able to respond to how a crowd responds to you. And, and the weird thing is it's different everywhere, right? How, how spot I can, you know, ideally, I mean, this is theoretically, I can have a match in Texas that they love and I may have that match in Rhode Island and they may hate it. Right. So I have to be able to adjust on how the crowd reacts to what I'm doing in the ring. And you can't get that experience unless you're out there, you know, performing, working in front of different crowds and you learn, okay, well, you know, Uh, Well, I'm a big wrestling history guy, and and Mick Foley's first book is one of my favorites. And he talks about his first wrestling trip to Africa, and he was wrestling Dominic DiNucci, who is the guy who trained him. And he said that he tried everything that he could possibly think of for this crowd outside in Africa to nothing, to crickets chirping. He took a backdrop on the floor, on on the grass, on the outside, nothing. And he said Dominic DiNucci grabbed a rear chin lock and locked it in, and the crowd went nuts. And he said, at that moment, it was like a, a, an awakening for me that you have to listen and see what the crowd wants. And he said, for the next 15 minutes, we went through every wrestling amateur hole that I had ever learned <laughs> and, and made some up, and the crowd clapped along with us. So you have to be able to listen and hopefully react to what the crowd wants. Because ultimately, you know, you got two people to please you've got the crowd, and then the guy who's the promoter that's paying you. Ultimately, those are the people that have to be happy. And, and if you do those things, you're, you know, you're pretty good shape. You touched upon PCW. Uh, how, was, how was your time for
1: traditional championship wrestling uh, between 2010 and 2015? I know it's a bit of a fast forward
0: there. Too. No, no, we're good. It's That's that's TCW? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. One of the guys that I helped trained and then trained with under Bill Ash was a guy named Matt Riviera. And Matt started his first time when he was probably 15 uh, and and – Kept coming back off and on over the years, so Matt and I became good friends. And Matt started this group called Traditional Championship Wrestling, and it—I don't—I still look at it and don't know why it didn't just go crazy worldwide. It was old school, traditional, physical wrestling with one of the best locker rooms I've ever, one of them that I've ever been in. The talent roster was amazing. The match, it was competitive storyline. It was the quality of the production was fantastic. And, you know, Matt brought me into that. I'd been wrestling for him off and on prior to under different names. And then when he started that, he said, I want to do this TV. I want to kind of build a promotion. I want to use you, you know, kind of as my linchpin. Uh, It was, it was and still stands up. Like right now, I think it's it's still on in some places almost 10 years later. Uh, and now it's called TCW Classics. Uh, it it wasn't was just in the United States. There were, you know, other countries that were showing TCW. But, oh, man, it, it was on any given night, it, it was what wrestling should be. You watch the matches before you, and you could just feel—you could feel okay. All right, I see. I got it. I better—I better raise this a notch. And every match would do that. We were challenging each other. You better—you wanted to have a as good or a better match than the guys before you. And the bar kept being raised and kept being raised. And uh, you know, from a learning experience, I mean, I—I I think I carried their their main title two or three times. And mm-hmm. uh, it, great competition. There was there wasn't a there wasn't a bad worker on the roster, and you better be ready to go every single night. It was great.
1: What were some of your favorite moments from TCW? Uh,
0: you know there were a lot. I think the biggest moment. Uh, you know, one of the philosophies in wrestling is you you never turn your top babyface heel. That's a big move, and I, I mean, if, for wrestling historians, it's obviously it's been done. For for really old school guys, I think one of the best. Wrestling angles ever run uh, was Mr. Wrestling Number Two and Magnum T.A. where the where the teacher turned on the student out of jealousy and and for the you know, Mr. Wrestling Two became the Hill and it just it did big money, you know when when Hulk Hogan walks down the aisle and is part of the N.W.O. the world went nuts and it got a jump off. Well, probably my biggest moment of that was uh, the Hill faction that I had been battling with for a year called the Empire. Uh, I turned heel at a big moment on one of the other top faces and won the championship back. And it, it jump-started, it jump-started us and it jump-started me into a whole different ballpark of, okay, I get to do everything again and do it from a different angle and enjoy it and have fun again. You know, it's, it's always a personal challenge to me. I, I always thought I was a better heel than a face uh, I guess the world has convinced me that's not true now. Uh, I, you know, I don't. People can't imagine booing me, but I, I always enjoyed working working on the other side too. It's it's
1: strange, like watching all the stuff of yourself to to now, you know, into the into the uh, as a face, like you say. Just uh, yeah, yeah, that's cool, man. That's cool. <laughs> Turnbuckle TV is the home of UK wrestling on demand, featuring over forty UK wrestling promotions and other wrestling-related channels. Subscribe today from just one ninety nine and start your free one month trial now. How did your relationship
0: begin with the NWA? Uh, you know, I I look back historically for me, and the NWA to me was always wrestling. You know, as as a As a kid, you know, watching wrestling, um, everybody has their own style. You know, the the Tennessee style is famous for being what I would call a walk and talk style with good wrestling. Uh, At night, watching the Von Ericks, if you've read any – anybody's read any history on that, you know, there are guys who talk about the fact that, you know, they would get home from a show and have to honk the horn to have somebody come out and help them out of the car because it was so physical. It was this real – you know, it was a legit – fight every time you got in the ring with any of the von erics uh one of my all, well almost full-time traveling partners is a guy who was one of the bookers there one of the referees there so i get i get feedback on that kind of stuff but to me wrestling was always uh, nwa you know it was you know the the four horsemen uh, you know hawk and animal you know mr wrestling 2 and magnum came out of that it all of those guys to me were wrestling. So I had this place in my heart that the NWA was always wrestling. And I can even remember my, maybe my second year in the business going up in the mountains of Arkansas up into, you know, uh, I, to, to somebody who was calling themselves an NWA franchise. And I thought that was the greatest thing ever. Now, when I got there, it was just somebody using the letters, right, because they knew the, the history. But my first real NWA connection, I had a guy walk up to me at the, for old school fans, here in Texas, every year, we have this thing called the Red Bastine Shootout. Uh, Red Bastine a, was a world-class wrestler all over, the, all over the world, you know, back in the 60s and 70s. And um, it's a gathering of wrestlers and people in the business, and we just get together and talk. And I uh, had this guy walk up to me at one of those shootouts and introduce himself. He said, my name is Robert Langdon. I run NWA Oklahoma and NWA part, you know, Texoma, which is, you know, part of Texas. And he goes, I want you to be my Carrie Von Eric. I want you on every show from now on forever. Well, he couldn't have picked somebody that would be closer to my heart. I mean, Carry Von Eric was like, okay, he, he was a, uh, you know, he was a Greek statue, you know, he anyway. So the very first time I worked for this promoter, uh, I won the NWA Oklahoma heavyweight championship. And then it just became a, a relationship building thing. It's like, I guess it's like anything else. You know, I worked for that promoter. I think if you go out and you work professionally and you have good matches and you represent the represent yourself well and you represent the product and the and the promotion, and it just kind of grew into that. That was my first experience. I worked for Robert for solid matter of fact, booked for his show for four or five years and did everything. Uh, you know, it, for maybe I don't know eight years. We're still good friends. I still go up there and do shows for him occasionally. Uh, and but James Beard, the guy that I said was my travel partner, becomes the director of talent and operations for the NWA under the old ownership group. Mm-hmm. And we built a relationship and then, okay, just to put James over, not just because he's my friend, but James is the only referee in history to work for every major promotion, both in the United States and in Japan. And I don't want to, I, it's a long story, but he literally, literally sat down and wrote the book of wrestling in Japan that they use today back the to, here's the move. This is the American word for it so that when you're in the ring. So, I mean, this is one of my travel guys. And through that relationship, we just kept – I won the uh, NWA North American title, which right now is not in use. I won that twice um, and then eventually builds that up to the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship mm-hmm. that I won at Texoma, you know, my home promotion in front of my home fans. So, it uh, you know, the NWA always had a special place in my heart. So when you when you – on NWA power, when you hear me say mm-hmm. – I love those three letters. It's it's an absolute truth. It's it's my heart. It's it's what I grew up wanting to do.
1: Absolutely comes across. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. How was it winning the WWE World Heavyweight Championship with the well-regarded lineage of that title? That's my that's my next one. It, you know,
0: it's it's a deal where again, I'm one of those. You know, I'm one of those guys that if you see it, it's real. You know, for me, if I show emotion. There's, there's nothing fake about my emotion. And uh, because of my love for the NWA, because of my love for the history, because of growing up and, and wanting, knowing that that was wrestling, um, on that night that I won the title, I had had a maybe three or four, well, more than that. I had, Back in my second year of wrestling, I had a shot at Dan Severin for the NWA World's title and was completely unprepared. Uh, so you fast forward that 20 something years later, uh, winning that NWA world's title. And, you know, James Beard was our referee. Uh, I, nobody I trust more. Jax Dane was the world's champion who I had, had numerous matches against and lost trying to win that world championship in front of my home crowd, right. In fr- at my, at my base of operations where they loved me. Uh, the emotion was real. You know, it, it it's, Here's the, here's the thing I knew, and this is what I was thinking in the ring because I think I, I was crying in the ring when it happened. And, and and people go, oh, come on, how do you cry? Well, it, it does. It means that much to me. But I knew at that moment that they could never take my name off that list and, and, and that I had just joined a list of some of the greatest names in the history of professional wrestling. And if you go down that list, it, it, I think I was the 53rd man to hold it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guarantee you of those 53 names or 54 names, 40 of those are hall of famers. You know, it, you go back to, to lose this and come all the way up through the lineage. It's, it is literally a who's who of professional wrestling history. Um, so on that day, on that night in that ring, when they put that title literally around my waist, it was, it was, you know, I said it later. And again, if I said it, it was, just, it was my mountaintop. Nothing can beat that moment. Nothing. Um, you know, nobody. Went, I, I don't. I didn't have any idea how long I would hold that. Nobody does. I think Giant Baba held it for one day and then and then turned it. You know, lost it the next night. I think Kerry Von Erich held it for maybe three weeks before he lost it back to Ric Flair. It didn't matter how long. I just mm-hmm. knew on that night, my name was on that list. And it, to me, it just when I said it's my mountaintop, doesn't get any bigger. Than that. <laughs>
1: That's cool. That my my question was actually about the rain. Uh, you're saying about days, previous guys, how long they had it. And the next question was holding a belt for 400 plus days. It's almost unheard of in modern wrestling. How yeah. how, how was it having having the NWA World Title, something you hold so dear for that length of time, Tim?
0: You know, it's it's one of those things that uh, there are no negatives to it, right? It's all positive. Uh, you know. On any given night, you're literally going to get, when you defended it, whatever promotion, you're going to get the most talented, the best wrestler in that promotion that they're going to put up. Then you're going to get the best match because it's a big deal to them. You can't have an off night, right? I mean, you can't. And um, the, the only negative is it's kind of like being a, a, a pro coach. If you're a, if you're a coach in any sport, you know that eventually you're going to get fired, right? I mean, as a coach. Well, you know that at some point somebody's going to beat you and, and holding it for 400 days. First of all, I never would have guessed that I that I could have retained it that long. Uh, you think at some point you're going to have a bad night or there's going to be a change of some kind, but you know, the negative is it becomes, it becomes part of you. And then when that, when you lose that, and you know, you're going to eventually, when you lose that, that's a big part of you that's taken away. And, uh you know, that's the, way the, that's the way competition goes. That's the way wrestling goes. That's the way sports goes. You know at some point somebody's going to, you know, you're going to have a off night or somebody's going to be better than you. Or, you know, there are a lot of those nights that I meet guys that were probably better than me. But you're the world champion. It's your job to go out there and, and do that. Uh, yeah, it's it, it was the way that, you know, one of the big questions that I – that I, one of my favorite things that I've ever heard was, does the title make the man or does the man make the title, right? Uh I guess in this case, it was a little of both. I think that coming from where the NWA world, where the NWA was, was not as respected, was not in a high profile situation. So I think I was able to bring that up, but along the same lines, I was the same person that I was before winning it, but now I'm looked at completely different. Uh, You know, you walk into a room as the NWA world, a locker room as the NWA world's champion, and I'm the same guy that I was Three weeks ago, or a month ago, when I walked into this locker room, and now I'm being looked yeah. at completely differently in a positive way. Right? I mean, yes, yeah. it doesn't get—it's it's a great thing. I want to do it again. I miss I, it. I want to do it I, again. You got you, me. On.
1: I, I want. You to – obviously you can't face Aldis again, and that's going to be my next question. Uh, you lost the belt to the national treasure, Nick oldest. We hold him in high esteem over here. Obviously, I've me too followed his followed his career from obviously right. the TNA. And to see where he is now is incredible. And the question is, uh, how much did you enjoy your matches with Nick? That—that that was the end of the question.
0: I always want to be careful because what I—I'll probably do it again. But what I end up doing when we start when I start talking about Nick is I am, you know, and for somebody who have, we've beat the snot out of each other so many times, I have way too many good things to say about him. Uh, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> he is—he is absolutely. The total package. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, here I go. It's you know every time I see the guy, and we've become we've become you know friends where we started off as competitors. We're now like a mutual respect. Every time I see Nick, I, I think I don't remember him being that big. He's a big guy. He's six. He's he's six four at least. Uh, Two hundred forty pounds. Uh, he works extremely hard in the weight room, and it shows. So he's a big guy. He also goes up to the top rope and hits a beautiful top rope elbow at 64 to 40 or 250. So that's amazing. Plus he's got the British background of the technical wrestler. I do not want to go hold for hold with Nick Aldis because I can't I, he's better than that. So you put all those things together and then the other part of wrestling to to make somebody great is their mic work. You know, Nick put the put the NWA World Title on his shoulders and went on what, I don't know, five continents, whatever it was that he defended it. But then when we get to NWA power, he kicks us off with money promos, right? Mm-hmm. He's great on the mic and the crowds love him. And he carries that, that mm-hmm. first season as the world champion that everybody loves. And then at a moment when, you know, I end up getting speared in the middle of the ring and getting beat down by this group. Now he can't cut a promo. He can't get his promo out without getting booed. So I'm just pointing out as a face, super successful as a heel, super successful. So the guy is, and you know, anytime the first match we had was the world title shot, never been in the ring with the guy, didn't know him. And and that's always challenging, you know, to, to be in ring with anybody. Um, you know, Nick said in one of his promos, and he, and he said it in a, in a not happy way with me, he goes, Tim, what you're going to understand is there's different levels in wrestling. And I'm on a different level. And what I learned was, it's the truth. You know, I I, I came out on top of the, first, of the first match and realized I got a whole different level if I want to be able to compete with Nick. True story. Uh, and... You know, I, it's somebody asked me in an interview maybe six months ago. They said, did you – I shouldn't tell this because I'm putting him over too much. They said, Tim, did you mentor Nick as the as the NWA world champion? And I went, no, if anything, Nick mentored me. You know, yeah. uh, we, we sat down in an airport uh, after a first match and broke down the match. And I was very disappointed in my – like, I thought I could have done a lot better. Uh, I have never been in a situation – it had been so long since I've been in a situation where I didn't feel like I carried not just my load, but I carried the load of the match. And, And in this case, I didn't. I felt like I had not pulled my part of the load. And Nick, we broke the match down. He had some good things to say. He had some things, you know, that I could work on. And his comment was, well, Tim, you know, you've been the world champion for a long time. He said, but I want you to understand that at 19 years old, I was now in the ring with some of the greatest people in this business. I was in the ring with Sting and AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and the Steiners and you know all of the, all of the great British wrestlers that had come through there and he goes, You haven't had that opportunity. I was forced to do that at 19. You haven't, you didn't have that learning ability, and I did. So that's that's the difference when I say levels. I have that to benefit from. So Anyway, that was a long answer too, but no, Nick, no, is, the no, it's it's Nick it's is the real deal. Nick is the real deal. we have we've had some good matches. Um, you know, it we we complement each other. You know, the things that I may not do well, he does great. And I am competitive enough that I can uh, you know, I care so much that I'll pull my I pull my load too. It's a it's a contrast in styles. Nick is a technical genius and I'm a punch you in the mouth and kick you, you know. When I can, that's my thing. You know, I'm, I'm just a physical wrestler. you're humble as well. So, uh, and, yeah, I, you humble. know what you again? What you see is what you get. Yeah. I always hesitate. I don't want. It. Should I put? Should I put the world champion that I want to beat? Should I? Should I talk so good about? It? I can't help it because it's just the truth.
1: Yeah, so. that's cool, man. That's cool, right, Tim? I'm a huge fan of your wrestling, but I gravitated most. We touched upon this pre-recording. Um, I, was, I, I liked your heartfelt promos on Enderberg Power. I, I need to read this out. Uh, the realism you evoke is something young guys in the business could learn a lot from. What promo advice would you give these guys?
0: Uh, you know, one of the things that I've, I've been fortunate to do <clears throat> is with James Beard, we've, we've been doing some clinics teaching. And I talk about, you know, I think because I'm a natural communicator, I have an advantage. Some people just aren't, you know, it's not natural for them to, to stand up in front of people, but I've been doing that my whole life. Here would be my advice, <clears throat> and I'm passing on advice that's not mine, right? Um, you have to find something that means something to you. It, it's like if, and I know that's probably part of the problems that we see in wrestling today, is if you're handed a script and and said go out there and say this, what you're saying is not you. Right? I mean, you're, you're saying somebody else's words and somebody else's you may not have a feeling for. Dusty Rhodes makes the comment, and, and one of the things that, he, that we talked about. And, and I've, I've been blessed to be able to spend time with, with some of the great promo guys in the business. Jake Roberts t- t- took me under his wing. I mean, I, and no matter what you think about Jake as a person, the man was talented and one of the, great, the greatest psychologists in the business. Incredible. But Dusty, Dusty Rhodes says, <clears throat> don't practice your promos. He goes, because if you practice them, they become a rehearsed they're not emotional you lose all the emotion in it so you know for me and I'll say it again nobody was more surprised that people love my promos nobody's more surprised than I was because I'm not out there putting on a show right I'm I'm out there speaking from my heart um you got to believe what you're saying you know you if you don't nobody's going to believe it either so I just I spent a lot of time in my head in what you know what what Mick Foley would call promo land you know, where, where I'm having, you know, this is what's important to me. This is the message I want to say. How am I going to say it? I don't know. Let's see how it comes out. And a lot of times I'm standing at the curtain, go, you know, about to walk out to, to the podium or whatever. And I'm literally going, Hmm, wonder what I'm going to say this time. Right. (laughs) Um, The big relief for me prior to episode one of NWA power. um, I had a conversation on the phone with Dave Lagana, you know, Mm -hmm. You know, I had been told – I knew my match was against was against Nick. You know, that was not a surprise. But he goes, I want to give you, like, 60 or 90 seconds at, at the podium, at ringside. You just – you start thinking about what you want to say. And I said, okay. And I had some things I wanted to say. You know, I, I wanted people to understand how important it was to me, uh, the opportunity. And and my concern was legitimate. I was feeling – I don't feel stressed to go out there and do that. You know, it's at, – at NWA – they don't say, say this, they say sink or swim. Here's your time. You go out there and if you're, you know, you either make it or you don't. And, and so my stress was none of that. My stress was, I've only got 60 seconds. How am I going to get this message? I mean, I've got so much things in my heart that I want to How am I going to get that out? So I'm standing at the curtain about to walk through. Remember no music, no nothing, right? That's, 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 that's NWA power. That's old school. And I'm I'm thinking, what do I take out that I want to say? And Billy Corgan uh, walks up at Gorilla, and he goes, "Hey Tim, don't worry about the time. You go out. We believe in you. Do what you want to do. You know, if if something goes wrong, we can always edit it. Just go say what you want to say. And then what the results are, you know, is is fortunately people like what I had to say. And mm-hmm. and I just believe if you stand up and speak from your heart, and if you're you know. Uh, and in wrestling, you know, that's that's a challenge, right? I mean, depending on your role, if I if I had to go out there and say I hate the world or I hate Nick or whatever, that's a whole lot more difficult to say than uh, you know, than than the truth. So it's you got to believe in what you're saying. And that's easy when when they say go out and say what you want. I can tell them, I can say what I believe. That's easy.
1: That's cool. That's good good in fact sound advice for these kids that are coming through. And we've got a lot of young talent over here. Coming through, I've had the fair few on, so that's good. They'll take a lot of uh, a lot of stuff from that. Thank you. Thank you for that answer. Which wrestlers in the current product do you think are destined for greatness um, into the future? And not that I'm asking you to play favourites, Sim, but it's just, yeah, who do you think is standing out currently? Are you
0: saying, are you saying with the NWA and wrestling in general?
1: I think, I think as a whole, but if you want to,
0: you know, well, start with power, maybe... You know, okay. Let me let me let me give you the power because, and and some of these aren't necessarily young wrestlers. They're just gonna be they're going to be successful, um, and really because I'm gonna say this, but it, and I don't know if it's a, it's a good thing to say or not. But from an NWA standpoint, um, I think a guy that I've known for five or six years, Ricky Starks, uh, is amazingly athletically talented and. His, the way he presents himself and his promos are great. Uh, he has said some, as a matter of fact, I, I had, I met him at a curtain after one of the, one of his promos. and was like, where did that come from? He goes, I don't know. Cause it was so good. I, I was mad at myself. You know, I, he, I can't even remember exactly what it was, but some reference to the last supper and Judas. And I was like, yeah, it was money. Where does that come from? Right. Uh, Caleb, Conley is super talented, super athletic. I think he's got a. I mean, and he's somebody who's been around for a while, but he's unbelievably talented, athletically great look. And and then there's a lot. You know, our our kind of our good thing is we have a great mixture of guys who are. You know, you got everybody from Rock and Roll Express that, mm-hmm. that have been doing this for literally for forty or fifty years, uh, who are. Just fantastic guys to be around, and it's 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 just an ongoing learning experience to talk to, and and to have those guys come up and go, that was a money interview, or you know, I I, I want to work with those kind of things. That's good, that's fun. On the other end, you've got the young guys, but also there in the middle, we've got some guys that are just stars. Hmm. No, there's no other way to look at it. And well, I hate to start naming names because as soon as you do, you're gonna leave. I'm gonna leave somebody out, but you know, uh, obviously, James Storm has has proven history in the business and is super talented. Eli Drake, unbelievable. Uh, You know, his mic work, his in-ring ability, it is just, it's just amazing. Uh, The Pope, Elijah Burke, you know, has Mm -hmm. has been on the last couple and he and I go back a long time, but another gifted guy athletically and you put a mic in his hand and it's magic. You know, it's, there are stars, there are, Guys who are stars before they ever got there, they're going to be bigger stars. And there's guys that are young; they're going to be huge stars. Uh, there are guys who have, have been on the uh, square, the circle squared stuff that I've known for a long time. That that if they get their opportunity, are going to explode in NWA power. You know, it's it, it's just a it's a, we're just in a good spot. And and I say that knowing and again, it, it, when you're in that locker room. And you see a guy show up that you has a history, and you know his talent level. You're gonna get you're gonna get a couple of emotions, and I may be the only guy that would say this out loud, but you're gonna see, you, like the the I've known Elijah Burke off and on for a long time. We're, we're friends. We get along great. Super respect. He walked in the locker room, and my first thought was, "Uh oh, we just got better." <laughs> what's that gonna, You know, what's yeah. that? Gonna, from from a company standpoint, oh, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. From a personal standpoint. What you know? Did I just lose some mic time? Did I? You know, it's because there's yeah. so many talented guys. But that's the competition of, yeah. of I was going to say it's going to breed
1: competition
0: for Absolutely. you
1: all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, man. I'm a big fan of. Um, I've had them on actually a few months back. Outlandish Ziggy Dice. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, superb. Well, and and I think that what they recognized in Ziggy was the the character, right? Yeah. I mean, he yeah. and and he. He is, he's completely under that head. That's, you know, that's his character. That's yeah. who he is. That, it, we're, we're so, I mean, you know, it, it you see it with well, like with Stu when Stu Bennett comes in and starts doing his stuff and you can see guys and you'll see the compliment line. You, know, you can see the little graph thing in your head. It's like, okay, that was a money interview. That was a money interview. Eli Drake is money. James Storm and Eli together. That's magic. Yeah. Eddie Kingston, Uh, Just believably real because he that's him, right? Uh, Nick goes out with the mic and his his money. I mean, it's just person after person. Our our female, Uh, uh, Thunder Rosa, incredibly, incredibly talented. Allison Kay, incredibly talented. Uh, Marty Bell, incredibly talented. I mean, you go through this list and it's like, hey, this, you know, I've been in some really good locker rooms in my history. Um, This is the best, without a doubt.
1: I, I love it. I just like the, uh, I like the hour. I like, yeah. I like, I like the fast paced hour, like the old, like the old days, even when I was a kid watching like from, I've watched since 1990 Tim, you know, um, yeah. it's, I, I find with WWE, in my opinion, it's, it's too, it's too long. It's too long. I, I like the right. format with power and uh, I like MWL's um, format with the hour. I think that's the best.
0: Yeah. I, I, it's, it, 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 it lends itself to a faster pace and is tighter, right? I mean, if you have to do three hours of programming or two hours of programming, you know, from a financial standpoint, how do you say no, right? You've got somebody who is going to pay you to, to put out that programming. So it's it's hard to say no to money to anybody, but the advantage to even a 30 minute program is okay. We're going to compress that into two matches and two promos and publish, you know, promote what's coming. It's just, it's tighter, it's better, it's it's easier to follow, and you, an hour investment's way easier than a two-hour, three-hour investment.
1: And I like the fact that obviously ROH as well, Ring of Honor, there's been stuff, there's been cross promotion. That that's that's a win-win for both sides as well.
0: Completely agree. And any you know, again, anytime you see, you know, it, it it's I, okay. Back in my softball days, right? Um, I wanted to be on a roster of guys where I was the 10th or 11th best player because I knew I was good right so if I'm on a roster where I'm batting 10th or 11th the the 10 or 11 guys in front of me are amazing well that's how you have to look at your product in wrestling right if I want to be on a roster that the competition is there and that there's so many talented guys everybody's fighting for their position and and not in a negative way because our locker room is it's all different personalities, all different ages, all different backgrounds. But when we get in there, you can see. I mean, you walk through it. If you, if you cut that money promo, you know, uh, somebody in the back when you walk back is, you know, did, did you just reference Eminem on a, you know, on a promo, you know, and now their mind's working. Uh, or they'll come to you and say, I'm going to th- I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this, what do you think? You know, how do you look at? So it's, it's, a, it's a very positive, competitive, make each other better situation.
1: Cool. Right. Got a, got a nice question here. <laughs> I, I think it's nice. I'm sure you'll think it's nice. How is Mama Storm? Uh, I like how you include Mama Storm in the promos and, and the interviews. How, how is she?
0: Uh, it, you know, good. Uh, it, that was never my intent, honestly. <laughs> I, I, I did not walk out there with the master plan of, I mean, it would have been funny, right, if I could have said, hey, watch me get my mom over here, right? It just, like I said, it was kind of a, it was a true statement. I am the youngest of four kids. Um, I mean, if I could do the math, my my brother that's closest to me in age, which is no longer with us, was probably six, 15 or 16 years older than me. He was the closest. I've got a sister right now that's 76, uh, and she's the oldest and still living. So I really am Mama Storm's baby boy. You know, I was, it was like being an only child. Uh, so it, it, mom is good, but... One of the challenges, and for her age, for 95, super healthy, um, you know, she tells me all the time, well, I just, I don't, in her words, I mean, we're from the country, right? Uh, I just don't have any steam. You know, I don't feel like I have the energy. And I'm like, well, mom, you're 95. You're not going to have, right? But the challenge right now for, I guess, all of us in in this really weird time that we've got, um, because we have debated, as you and I sit here today, Mother's Day here is this coming weekend. I have not seen my mom in three months. You know, the worst thing I can possibly, this, this whole self-quarantine, it means more to me than it does a lot of people because I cannot in good conscience, if my mom has made it 95 years and three months of sitting, if I walked into that house and brought something with me, contact with somebody else, that would then lead to her getting sick and, and having to make a battle that's unnecessary, um, I couldn't live with myself. I mean, it, that's, she's that important to me. So the whole quarantine thing and, and self-isolating and, not, and caring about other people, and, it, uh, over here at least, there is a constant debate of everybody back to work, everybody go back to normal, and no, we should be more careful. And, and I have to err. I have to err on the safe side because I've got a 95-year-old mom, yeah. right, that I have to care about. Absolutely. So Mama Storm is good. She, on a, on a, a, I could talk to her every day and on a daily basis, this is her, you know, I, uh, I hadn't been off this place in seven weeks, which (laughs) she didn't go anywhere anyway. Right. I mean, she went to the grocery store at 95, maybe once a, once every two (laughs) weeks. So, but it's, she's, she's feeling the, uh, cabin fever, you know, to get out, but she's health wise. She's doing fine.
1: That's good to hear, man. I I thought I had to ask that question Tim. And now, my final question. This is not wrestling related. Now, I, okay. saw, I saw some stuff. I think I saw it on Facebook. And obviously, Tiger King <laughs> exploded and yeah. uh, internationally. I've watched it. I watched it as soon as it came on Netflix. And I saw that you visited Joe Exotics Park in Oklahoma. Yeah. I, I bet you've been asked this question a fair few times. So I'm gonna, I want to ask it. How, how was, what was that like as an experience?
0: Well, here's, okay, here's, here's Tim Storm's uh, view of things. What I saw after that was anybody who had ever had any contact and in wrestling we call it the rub right that everybody wanted that rub of okay I approached it just the opposite when when it came out I had not watched it immediately and don't, I don't know how because I've watched everything on Netflix that there is right because I'm isolated uh, my approach was the exact opposite I called Dave Lagana and Billy and I said okay these pictures of me and this guy that I know have are already popping up. He has been found guilty of murder for hire and has been accused of abusing animals. I don't want this to have any kind of blowback on me or the NWA. How do you want to handle it? So mine was, I wanted to get out in front of all the negativity and make sure that everybody knew here's, here's what I knew. And then, you know, people are always going to speculate. That's just people. So here's your, first off, here's your answer. Okay. My experience was, through NWA Texoma that I've mentioned a couple of times, uh, the promoter and owner of that is a is an exotic animal guy. He owns a couple of monkeys at his Bio-cut. home. He had he had donated for years to Joe Exotics Animal Park to help feed the animals, and we were approached with, I really believe in this cause. Would you guys be willing? And I'll pay you. Don't I'm not a you know what a a in this. Would you guys be willing to go up and do a fundraiser at the park? Try to raise money. The money that they earn. We'll go toward feeding the animals. Uh, I did two shows up there, and I've made this comment before. There were more lions and tigers watching than there were people. The <laughs> fundraiser—it was a complete, you know, unsu- not success. But you know, I would go as far as to say Joe and I were friends. Um, yeah. He he definitely he wanted to be different than everybody else. I mean, look. I mean, he wore the leather coat all the time. You know, with the with the dangles. He he wore a sidearm all the time, but. You know, over the course of about a year, uh, Joe brought his cameras and filmed our wrestling promotion. Did commentary. He was terrible. He knew <laughs> nothing about. He knew nothing about wrestling. But from a promotional standpoint, it was if we can get our, our product out in front of potentially potentially yeah. you know millions of people watching, uh, yeah. it's going to benefit. You guys are going to you know you guys are going to be seen more. It's going to help us. I don't know that any of that actually happened as far as the success, but uh, you know, my, my point when I got out and tried to get out in front of all this was, I know nothing about murder for hire. I never saw abuse of animals. Um, I went into the cage with the, and this is one of those life experiences that I would never pass up. I walked into the, the cage with 10 or 11, 500, 600 pound grown tigers Uh, with nothing but uh, a golf club with no club on it. (laughs) And it was one of those where I love animals, you know, and, and it's, they are legitimately, most of those, most of those animals were raised in his living room. Right. So they were not killers, but they were 500 pound cats who would love to play and in their playfulness could destroy you, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. so it was a it was that real, real weird line of, I'm surrounded by five or six hundred pound grown tigers that can kill me, and they want to play. And if one if one playfully jumps on your back and you're underneath that animal, you are not in a good situation, right? So, again, life experience that I would never, both exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. Right. Hey dude. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, yeah, that was a, that was a great experience. I don't regret it. Um, never saw any of those things. And thankfully, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was never part of any of that, but no, no. Yeah. Joe exotic exploded on the world. And I think, ah. I think it was a, it was a gift to, uh, the, the documentary people because it happened at a time in quarantine where everybody's desperate for something to watch. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. It was. it's incredible I still I, I feel a lot of sympathy for him I think he was tarred and feathered by the the others they all came together you actually feel sympathy for him yeah even though he was crazy and a bit of a lunatic um well, I, hey, came I, out don't, of it.
0: I don't disagree with that but you know a, a lot of those <laughs> like I had never I was on his studio tv show a couple times right uh and I never saw any of the Threats that he made, you know. No, I, won't even, no. I won't even publicly say her name, just because I don't want to give the credit to. No, that. no. But he put himself in a bad position, yeah. you know, in, in by making those threats and shooting and blowing yeah, up, and yeah, yeah. you know, so he didn't make it, he didn't do himself any favors on that. No, no. Uh, of course, I have no clue as guilt or innocent, and and from a personal standpoint, I just don't know. You know, I have no clue. Tim. <laughs> It's that time. Uh, can you plug your social media, please, for the listeners? Yeah, viewers? you know, okay. I am. I am not a social media genius, but all of a sudden, I feel like I'm, I'm watching my my Twitter followers. So anybody out there, uh, I am. I looked yesterday, and I think it would be cool to get to ten thousand Twitter yeah. followers, right? So yeah. I'm at I'm at like nine thousand one hundred and something. So uh, Tim Storm NWA uh, Twitter mm-hmm. and for Instagram, which is also you know, if, you know a, a growing thing, uh, Tim Stormo one. Uh, those are my two primary. I'm not one of those guys that I'm not a daily poster uh, because for the most part, I don't know why anybody would care what I have to say about politics or anything else. So I stay away from all of that. Uh, but yeah, if you want to ch- if you want to check it out, please do. Uh, I'd love to get to that ten thousand mark. Just and I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there, you know. But I would love to get there. Uh, You know, you, anybody can contact me on those and I answer just about everything, you know, not necessarily comments, but if somebody sends me a message, (laughs) you respond. Well, I've,
1: I've asked you a lot of stuff.
0: (laughs) Oh no, we're good, man.
1: No, thank, no, thank you so much for, uh, honestly, for taking the time to answer me. Um, yeah, it's just, it means a lot. It was, it was an honor, it's an honor to have you on today.
0: Well, thank you. and, And I really meant what I said when I started. It's, we're all in this, uh, wrestling thing together. Um, you know, you, you're, you're helping us in wrestling. And if I can help, if I can pay that back, I would love to do that. And and it's been an honor and a, and a, and a pleasure to talk to you, Stu. Thank you. The former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, the superstar of
1: NWA power. We'll be able to see it 6.05, actually 11.05 here on a Tuesday when it's all back up and running. Tim Storm, absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Stu. Thank you to Mike Angus for the show intro As always, superb, superb Chris Dutton, thank you very much For editing once again Appreciate it, buddy And also to Lee, who does my website Lee puts the stuff up on the website Without you guys, I'd be screwed So once again, as always Appreciate everything you do for me And the time you spend doing the things you do for me It means a lot, guys And a big thank you for the show intro And the outro, it's my good pal Stephen Ash A good school friend of mine And it's called Keeping On, and it's by Stephen Ash. Keep your eyes peeled. Steve's got some projects going on. So, yeah, that was the show intro, track, and outro track for today. Nice one, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.